Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, Church, good morning, and I just want to welcome everyone, and uh, uh, it's nice to be here in the house of God, and uh, it's good to see everybody. We just wrapped up our series on our famous Tour de Colosse. We have gone through that a, a, a number of weeks, and it was a great epistle written by Apostle Paul to a church that encountered the enemy's attack. This little insignificant church in Colossae came up against a serious demonic heretical attack. So the question is, was it physical? Absolutely not. No one was attacking the believers. No artillery was fired. No no church building was torched. No one was protesting outside the doorway stopping the people from entering the church. Then what type of attack was that? The attack is of spiritual nature. The attack was on the foundation of beliefs on which the church was built. That's what he noticed. It stems from three elements we looked at. One was the false Greek philosophy, and then we looked at the Judaistic legalism and ceremonialism. So how did Paul address these problems? And we see, we learn that by showing how the teachings of Christ and Christ himself are superior to all the claims. Now Chuck Swindle, he puts it so beautifully, I loved it. Let me read this to you. He says, a proper view of Christ would serve as the antidote, remedy for the Colossian heresy as well as a building block, I love the term he used, a building block for Christian life and doctrine, both then and now. That's how he puts it. Church, we are living in a world, sadly, to quite a few, Christianity has become a commodity. Now, something to promote, something to market, something to make money out of. There are many false teachers who are able to entice vulnerable people to Christ under a false sales pitch. Who are these false teachers? They know the gospel, they refuse the gospel, they oppose the gospel, and they try to form their own gospel. Instead of asking what has God said in his word, the false teachers ask, what do people want to hear? What will appeal to their flesh? These are some of the enticing baits that they use to draw people. They will say, Jesus will solve your problems. Isn't it true? Absolutely, yes. They will say, Jesus will give you peace and joy. It's true. Jesus will give you a happy family life. It's true. Jesus will give you abundant life. It's true. Obviously, when you hear these promises... People sign up right away for what they thought would be a wonderful life of peace and happiness. 
all of these claims are true, but they are only half of the picture. They are not the full picture. Yes, Jesus did promise. Jesus did promise to give us abundant life. Look at this passage. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in full, have it to the full. But we, Jesus also said that he was sending us out. Look at this passage. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves. On one hand, Jesus says that you're going to have, have, have a life and have it in full. And then he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, I didn't know that, pastor, you may say. It does not fit in with this abundant life that I understood that Jesus would provide. Jesus promised peace. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. That's amazing. I've got so many problems in life. Let me come to Jesus. Let me get that peace from him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues to say this. In the world you will have, and you might ask, what? Tribulation. Tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Oh, I didn't know that. No one told me that. I thought I'll have peace when I come to Jesus. Similarly, Jesus assured us of love. You can read throughout the New Testament. But he went on to say that the world would hate and persecute us. There are many such examples that we can find. Even in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about in chapters 5 and so on, about the spirit-filled home. He says it's a glorious picture of the loving relationship between Christ and the church. But then, as he concludes this, that epistle... He warns that the Christian life is nothing less than warfare against the hideous enemy, the devil. So when, what we as believers need to know is that when you become a Christian, we are drafted into God's army. Daily, we are engaged in a battle. Daily. With an unseen spiritual enemy that seeks to destroy you. Only one goal he has to destroy you. If we don't understand that, when the trials hit us, we'll think something is wrong. And we'll wonder why God has allowed this. We won't understand the reality of our situation. As a pastor, I can easily lead this, lead this battle over the time I realize that when God blesses the work of the ministry, the enemy will increase his attacks against it. When our ministry is effective, the enemy will work overtime to bring me down and bring the church down. Now, it may be through internal problems within the church body. It may be through key leaders and trusted members who turn against you. Or it may be through discouragement or through temptation. Any of these things can happen. Look at what Paul said about his ministry. Look at this passage. Paul says, For a great and effective door has opened to me. Wow. Paul says, There's a great ministry opportunity has been opened to me. He writes from Ephesus. He writes to the saints in Corinth. Then he says, And there are many adversaries. 
Did you notice this? You know, he did not say, a great opportunity has been opened to me, but there are many adversaries. He says, no. He says, and there are many adversaries. So in other words, adversaries go along with open doors for effective ministry. Same thing we saw at Colossae. It's a budding church, it's a growing church. But then the adversaries came along with that. Came along with that. This is spiritual warfare. Every human being affected by the reality of spiritual warfare. Now, church, let's face the reality. The Bible teaches us there's a fallen angel whose name is Satan. In the book of Job, we find that Satan roams through the earth going back and forth. And, and you know the story about God and Job, Job's discussion or conversations. And Peter writes that Satan is prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And John 10.10, 10, Jesus warns he comes to steal, kill, and destroy in the book of Revelation, we find that Satan leads the whole world astray. When Paul, Paul wrote to the saints in Corinth, he tells that Satan masquerades, like impersonates as an angel of light. That is who this Satan is. For many who are unaware of his schemes, he easily deceives them into thinking that his intentions are really good. And so they become victims of his subtle designs. So devil works overtime at work to blind the minds of unbelievers, causing them to discount the message of the gospel. So you may ask the question, Pastor, I am a born-again believer. All of us. And I'm not in the enemy's camp anymore. So why am I under the enemy's attack? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? I'm not in the enemy's camp. I'm in the outside. Why am I under the enemy's attack? Excellent question. Well, church, it's true that everyone who surrendered his or her life into the hands of Jesus, we have, every one of us, we have witnessed astounding miracles. What miracle is that? That we have been made new. We have become new creation. The new birth has not only assured us of a, of, of a place in heaven when we die, but it has changed everything here and now. The new birth. This is especially felt in the realm of spiritual warfare. What happened when we became believer? Now, we studied in the book of Colossians. I'll remind you again. He, meaning who? The Lord, has delivered, meaning he rescued us, from the power, meaning dominion of darkness, and conveyed us, brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Wow, it's great. I am no more under the dominion of the power of darkness. That's what you take from this passage. So this rescue from the dominion of darkness is the rescue from Satan and his dark kingdom of demons and their effects. Effects. That's what you're reading here in this passage. Satan is no longer able to do to followers of Jesus what he's able to do to those who do not know Christ. Our conversion church is a transfer from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ. 
So all of us, we live in a different realm. We are no longer the property of the evil one. For we have chosen, we have been purchased with the blood of Christ. That's what Peter writes so beautifully. That we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what Peter wrote. Therefore, Christians cannot be demonized. Please follow along very carefully. Because there are so many, some of you have approached me and asked me these questions. Can we be demonized? They cannot have demons living in their bodies. Since even their very bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. Then it still begs the question, Pastor, whatever that you said is neat and dandy, but why am I facing this spiritual warfare? That's the question. I personally know of many Christians who are confused about what to make of spiritual warfare after conversion. Many testify that they still sense a great warfare around their lives. Some have been wondered whether a demon is living inside of them. When they are still struggling, they're not able to get rid of the sin from which they have repented. Some Christians have sensed a demonic attack. And some have even experienced bizarre behavior. And some of you have shared that with me. Of course, a great deal of confusion reigns in that case. So the primary question that comes to our mind is that why are we still in the battlefield? There are many reasons, church. But I just want to present at least three from the scriptures. So that we get a good understanding of why we believers, I'm talking to believers. I'm not talking to non-believers. Why we face these issues. Number one. Let me bring the passage of scripture here for you. Firstly, the battle that we are facing is because we are under the dominion of the devil. Wow, pastor, you are contradicting yourself. You just said we are not under the dominion of the devil, and what is this? Let me explain this to you. I like the NIV translation. It says, the God of this age. Who is that? That's the devil. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He's talking about the unbelievers. So what has that got to do with me, pastor? That's the question you would ask. But what I want you to take from this passage is not what you see uh, at the latter, uh, second part of this, of this verse, but the initial part of this, the God of this age. Satan is called the God of this age. He's still governing this world. He's still governing this world. So then the question to the believers, then what did Christ do? What did Christ do? What happened when Christ died on the cross? It's a genuine question to ask everyone. You know, the penalty of our sin is paid for. The penalty of our sin is paid for. So when you come to know the Lord, when you receive that gift of salvation, our penalty is being paid for. That is what Christ did. And not only that, the power of sin is overcome at the cross. We are being set apart. We have been sanctified. It's a daily progress. 
That's why, church, let me pause and tell you one thing. If you are a believer, this is a check mark for you. If you are a believe, born again believer, if you keep sinning over and over and over again, it's an indication that you have not truly committed your life to the Lord. A true believer will be sinning less and less and less as time progresses. That's what's called the sanctification progress. The power of sin is being overcome. Now, with the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit, we are able to overcome our temptations. You may not do it on day one when you come to know the Lord. But if you are persistently at the same level of sinful state, I would question your initial salvation. But the presence, now we talk about the penalty of the sin and the power of sin. The presence of sin is only eliminated at glorification. That is when we leave this world, when the, when, when the rapture happens and when we are taken away, or that we leave this world. That's when the presence of sin is eliminated. So we are still in the battlefield. So why are we in the battlefield? Because we are still, even though we have been removed from the devil, he is the God of this age. So that influence is there. No matter how great you are, but if you are in a country where the ruler is ruthless, you will be impacted by that. It doesn't matter. Secondly, the reason that, that, that we are still in the battlefield, the second one, is that because when you desire to live godly life, you will suffer persecution. You will face spiritual warfare. That's what the Bible says. Yes, and all who desire to live godly, meaning being sanctified, that's what it means, all the believers in Christ will suffer persecution. Every one of you will suffer persecution. Thirdly, because Jesus said so. He said that in the world you will have tribulation. Every one of us. So why are we thinking, why God, why me? This should be a great eye-opener for all of us as you look at this. So as we dive into the subject of spiritual warfare, first let us have a clear understanding of our position in the spiritual warfare. Church, let me, let me say this again. Believers in Christ cannot be possessed by demons. I said it before. Nor can they have demons living in their bodies. That's important for us to understand because in any battle before you know your enemy, you need to know about yourself. I'm going to a battlefield. It's good to know the enemy, but you need to know who you are first and what you possess. So let's look at some passages of scriptures which will help you to understand who you are when you're facing this battle. Number one, look at this passage. Paul is writing again, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Wow. You are not, on your, you are not your own. He resides in us. Someone is in us. He is fighting this battle for you. 
Secondly, look at this passage. Again, Paul writing, For we are the temple of the living God, as Jesus, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. We belong to Him. No matter where you go, I belong to Christ. He is there to protect me. Number three, John writes this, Apostle John, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked ones, the wicked one does not touch him. I love it. The wicked one does not touch him. That's why we can say what? No weapon formed against me can will prosper. I have faced trials many and bitter. I can easily say, echo with David. But every time, church, I tell myself and I claim, God, no weapon formed against me will prosper. But then you ask the question, Pastor, how can, how then can we be effective in our resistance of Satan? Church, we need to dive into the word. The scripture shows us the way. This is what Paul says in his concluding remarks to the saints in Ephesus, which you heard the passage being read. This is a beautiful letter. This letter was given to the church in Colossae, and they were asked to read this letter. We, we remember that? We studied that? Even to the Colossian church. So Paul says that we can be victorious in our struggles with Satan by focusing on Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the authority to resist Satan. So let me quickly examine this text today. And we are going to only look at, even though three verses were read, we are going to only look at one verse. But let me read verses 10 and 11 so that you get a picture of it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is the New King James Version translation. So Paul begins this uh, section by saying, finally, my brothers, my brethren. The word finally shows that this section, whatever he is going to say, built on what precedes. So as we review the context, Paul appeals to the saints in Ephesus in, verse, in chapter 4.1. We studied that way back when. Based on your glorious position in Christ as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Get it? I want you to live a life worthy of the calling. Finally, you connect the dots now. I want you to do this because of all the glorious position in Christ. I want you to live a life worthy of the calling. But finally, there are going to be some issues. That's what Paul is talking about here. So he continues to say that the saints, you may be aware of the serious conflict in which your faith necessarily engages you because you are fighting in the Lord's army. It is not going to be easy to be a believer, not easy to live a life worthy of the calling. And that's when Paul goes on to talk about this from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. He reasons out and gives us the way to overcome it. And this is what we are going to look at over the next six Sundays. 
So Paul is challenging his readers to open their eyes to the spiritual warfare in which they are engaged. This is an admonition, it's a warning to all of us believers. There's an inevitable battle to fight in the Christian life. They are to call stand against the devil. So I want us to go back to the two verses here, and please follow along carefully. What do you see in these two verses? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the vials of the devil. We do two essential components here. Be strong in the Lord in the power of the might. Put on the whole armor of God. Two things we are seeing here. Listen, church, in other words, Paul is saying, for the combat, there's a combination of divine enabling and human cooperation. They both should happen. Both should happen. And Paul is using a war language because he's a prisoner in chains with the soldiers. He uses his metaphor so that people can understand. Church, imagine this, please. If you are a weak person who can barely stand, and you put on the best armor on go of God on you, you'll still be an ineffective inferior soldier. So having the armor alone is not going to work. Both should go hand in hand. You must be strong and you must wear the right armor. So let's see what Paul tells in verse number 10. I'm going to look at verse number 10 again a little more carefully. The, what Paul is talking about in verse number 10 is a source of our strength. Where are we getting the strong, getting our strength from? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So to be victorious in the spiritual battles, we, need to, we will need spiritual power. The problem is, church, none of us possess spiritual power within ourselves. We are weak, we are frail, we are fallible, we are, we are foolish creatures. We are often on the losing side of the battles of life. If we hope to achieve victory... We must have true spiritual power because it's a spiritual warfare. So Paul tells us what, where that power originates. That's what Paul is talking about here. So the first thing that we learn here about the source of the strength is this. He says our strength comes from a person. That's what he's saying here. Be strong, he says. Be strong means to be empowered, to be strengthened. The, the commentators say this is a word that is used to, a, to of a deathbed patient recovering from illness. Be strong, come on, rise up. It is a picture of someone who is weak being made strong. That sounds like that's what you need. Because we are weak creatures. We are weak emotionally, we are weak in the way that we think, we are weak in our spirit, we are weak when it comes to temptation and sin. The strength we need to walk in victory in the battles of life will never come from within ourselves. We cannot get it from us. Paul says the strength we need can only come from the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Means that any spiritual strength we can ever hope to possess must come from Him and Him alone. That's what I'm getting here. So spiritual power can only be yours through a relationship with Jesus Christ, not otherwise. 
Just as we trust Jesus and his death and resurrection to save us, we must trust him to give us the spiritual power we so desperately need. Just as we need his righteousness to enter into God's heaven, we need God's power if we are going to stand against the attacks of the, we face in life. Just as we need his blood to take away our sins, we need his power to defeat Satan. Our strength comes from one source, the Lord Jesus. That's why, you know, my favorite Psalms is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So do not look to another source when you are faced with the devil, church. Not to your friends and not to your families. And You must call the Lord first. Not even the pastors and the elders. You can call them, they can pray for you. But you ought to call first. Look to the Lord. It only comes from Him. So when you are in the battlefield, but most of us are like the tuk-tuk drivers. I don't know how many of you have gotten... I, you know, I go on my mission trip and I, I love to get into the tuk-tuk. Tuk-tuk is an auto rickshaw that you find three-wheelers in Sri Lanka. What you get into three-wheelers, what you find is a picture of many gods. In the middle of it, you will find Jesus' picture also. Can someone help me here? That is a message I get. We do the same, church. We may be laughing at the picture when you see that, but every one of us, we do the same. Can someone help me? Not realizing the help comes from him and him alone. If the help comes from him and him alone, you go to him and ask him. Imagine my son needs some money and he comes and asks me, Daddy, can you give me some money? And I'm willing to write a check and give it to him. But what he's doing is that he's go he knows he comes to me because he knows that I love him and he loves me. But he goes to every Tom, Dick, and Harry and says, can you give me some money? Can you give me some money? Can you give me some money? Imagine, as a father, if I hear that. Because I'm prepared to write a check. But he's coming to me and asking me money. And I'm saying, okay, son, don't worry. I'm going to give you money. But I've not given it to him yet. But for him... It's not about the relationship. For him, it's his money that he needs. It doesn't matter. Someone give me the money. But I am saying I love you. I am here to give you. I need that relationship. Church, I would encourage you to discipline yourself to seek him first. So the first thing that we, that we learn from this, that the source of our strength comes from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the second thing that we see here is that Paul writes here, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. It's not only the strength comes from a person, but it also comes from a provision that God gives. That's what he's saying here. In the power of his might. The word power refers to dominion. It speaks of the power to complete and perfect. That's what it means. The word might has the idea of inherent force and strength. So in other words, when Paul talks about the power of his might, he says absolute ability of God. That's what Paul means here. 
So God has a vast reservoir of might that can be realized as power in our Christian life. These two words, power and might, describe the kind of power that there is no shortage of it we need if we are to experience victory in the spiritual battles. You know, children, and as parents, we know this. You know, we'll, we'll say, okay, I'll play with you. After a while, you get tired. Your age, your limbs are hurting, and you want to go and lie down. Oh, your child says, can you please go and can you help me build this up? So as an old man, I go, you try to build it halfway through, so I need to take a break. Why? Because I'm running out of my power. You know, what I want you to understand is that we have a reservoir of power that never runs dry. Never runs dry. I still remember I was pretty early in my life when I was young and I was, I was, I was in a refugee camp in the middle of a jungle. And here I am when I was in the camp and not knowing what the future is going to be and whether I'll make it through this, I told my friend, and none of us had cell phones those days, I said, if only I can make a call to my dad, he would come and rescue me. I was so immature to understand I thought that my dad has, is an omni, omniscient. He has got the omnipresent, omnistrength he has got. He can come and do it, omnipotent. But not realizing, if he comes, he will be in trouble. But that's the time to cry out to the Lord and say, God, I need you. He will intervene. And when he comes, no weapon forms against you can prosper. The Lord's power is limitless. Jeremiah writes this in his, in his verse, Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You sing this beautiful chorus. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? One of the attributes of God is the omnipotence, meaning the power of God. But did you know that God's power doesn't really relate to you unless it is applied your daily life. God might have all the powers, but if you cannot connect it to you, it means nothing to you. It means nothing to you. You can believe that God is powerful, God has all the power, He can do anything and everything, and there's nothing God cannot do, but unless that applies into your own life, it really doesn't mean much to you. Jesus told his disciples, you, I want you to tarry and they would receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon them and they would become effective witnesses across the globe. And this power we saw in the scripture, the unusual fullness came upon the church and its messengers again and again in the early church for the special challenges of witnessing to Christ. Now, Paul talks about the same extraordinary power available to Christians. And in the book of Ephesians, he says this to the saints in Ephesus. According to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened, Paul says, with might through the Spirit in the inner man. In verse 19, he says, you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 21, by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. In other words, church, there is an extraordinary power 
available to all believers, to you and to me, to every one of us. A power that can accomplish far more than ordinarily think we can think or imagine. It comes by the Spirit. It accords with the riches of God's glory. It is the very fullness of God as unimaginable as it sounds. John Piper, Piper puts it this way, how to draw this, this power from, of the Holy Spirit. He gives four things. I'll quickly say that what they are. He says, immerse yourself in the Word of God, the Bible. You want to get that power. Secondly, he says, believe the Word of God. Simple things. Number three, he says, you pray and fast earnestly for the power. Number four, he said, obey the Holy Spirit. You know, I love what he, yeah, there's an ex, he had expanded this, uh, how he describes it. He says, when we disobey, listen carefully. I love the choice of words. He says, the channels become so clogged with fear and self-consciousness and doubt and, 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 and realization and worldly preoccupation. He says that when we disobey God, our channels get clogged. So having said all this, Paul is now saying, finally, I'm coming back to the last point here. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Paul says, Paul is saying that, yes, the spiritual power can only come from the Lord. That's what he looked at. Because at the cross, by his resurrection, Jesus defeated Satan and all his work. The battle is already won for us. That is what we saw earlier. But say, Paul says here, but it is only available when we are in Christ. It's, it only becomes applicable to you and me only when we are in Christ. The power is there. It comes from the Lord. It's great and might. But it becomes only your personal thing when you are in Jesus. Only then we are partakers of his victory, his power, his strength, and his ability. I told you earlier that for us to win the battle, two components must come together. The combination of divine enabling and human cooperation. And for we should be strong. Strong in what? In the Lord. If, you, if not, you are a weak soldier. Let me show you a, a picture here. You can be either a weak soldier like this, with no Christ, or you can be a strong soldier like me. That's my picture. Anchor, that's the best picture I could find on the net. Please bear with me. But the point I'm trying to get is that, please church, if you are a weak soldier, it doesn't matter what armor that you're going to put on, you're going to fail. The only way you become a strong soldier is if you are in Christ. I'm not talking about your physical muscles and your six-pack and ten-packs and twenty. I got one pack. But, but it doesn't matter how many packs you have. I'm talking about whether are you in Christ. Are you in Christ? One of the truths Paul has been trying to teach us that when we are saved, we are made one with Jesus. When you're saved, does his life, Jesus' life become our life? His truth becomes our truth. His ways become our ways. His power becomes our power. His strength becomes our strength. But here's what we forget. 
When Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, he defeated Satan and all his works. That means the, this war is already over and Jesus has already won it. So we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. We are fighting from the victor's end. So next time you are encountering a spiritual warfare, you must understand that you are fighting from the victor's end. The battle is already won. If we can come to the place where we understand that our Lord has already defeated Satan and that when we are in Jesus, we are partakers of his victory. It will help us walk in that victory in the day-to-day -day battles we face. So where do we get this power? It comes simply by being in Jesus. When you are in Jesus by faith, saved by his grace, you become a partaker of his power. This verse reminds us one thing, church, to all believers even. We are foolish. We may be believers. We are foolish when we trust in ourselves and in our own power. We are foolish when we think we can fight the devilish demons and sin and temptation and, and, and the world and the other enemies in our own strength. We are foolish when we think we can handle it on our own. We must realize that we cannot handle it. We must realize that we are weak. We must realize that if we try to do it on our own, we will be defeated. We must trust not ourselves, but only in Jesus Christ. Church, I will make a confession here. Growing up, I had difficulty with that. I was a man who had more confidence than what I could handle. I was growing up, I thought I was George W. Bush. I thought I was Obama. I, was, I knew it all. And there came a day the Lord has to bring me down. And he said, son, it's too much. I can't, God said, I can't handle this anymore with you. And he brought me down to a point where I realized I cannot handle it. I realized that I am weak. I realized that I, if I try to do it on my own, I'll be defeated. You come and in Jesus you find this relief. You know, Apostle Paul stands out as a candidate who faced multiple spiritual warfare. We know the story of Apostle Paul. And he says this beautifully in the, in the book of Philippians. Look, listen to this. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and what? We found, everybody read that, in Him. That's all that matters, in Him. That's why at the end of the journey, Paul was able to write to his spiritual son, Timothy, and say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the raid, I have kept the faith. He could say it because Paul was found in Him. Church, in Him, there is no condemnation. In Him, there is salvation. In Him, there, we are new creatures. In Him, there is eternal life. In Him, there is acceptance. In Him, there is hope. There is help. There is victory. The question I want to leave with you as we start this series is, are you in Him? Are you in Him? So, just to conclude this, the spiritual battle is inevitable. Every one of us believers now, 
the second point I raised was that the source of our strength, it comes from a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from his provision, the power and the might. And our strength is only found in Christ. Even though they are available, they are only found in Christ, when we are in Christ. So the question I want to ask you is, are you in him? Do you trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Do you trust in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your savior? If so, the battle is his, the victory is his. Shall we pray as the congregate, as the worship team comes up? Uh, sorry, son. Only the best-looking guy. Yes. Okay. We're going to go, go in. Let's. Why don't you rise and let's let's pray together first? And uh, we're going to go into the next phase. Is partake in the Holy Supper. But let's pray for this message. Father, we thank you for this time that you gave us to be able to reflect on the spiritual warfare. And we thank you for reminding us that our help comes from you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for reminding us that that help, that what you provide is power and might. But we also thank you for reminding us that we can only have it when we are in Christ. So I pray in Jesus' name that every one of us here that we will be people who will be known as we are in Christ. There's one amongst us who has a doubt about it. I pray that may this be the day of conviction. And I pray they'll be able to commit their lives to you and that they'll be able to experience the strength that comes from you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray.